following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Hey everyone, this is Denise. And before we get into today's gripping conversation, make sure to go to podcastone.com slash my survey or click on the survey banner at podcastone.com to take a very brief listener survey. Your response is really, really appreciated and the information you provide will help mentoring moments. Now on to the show. The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every Wednesday in my New York City apartment, where we are proudly sponsored by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. And sitting across today from me is Joy Gordon. And Joy, I am so happy, so happy you're here. Just looking at you mm-hmm. makes me, and there's something about you that just makes me bubble up with joy. And, and, that, and that, that, that wasn't a pun intended. Right. I have to say, I swear, <laughs> that was not, I swear that was not planned. So let me tell everyone about you and give you a brief intro because we want to get into, I want things to come from your words. But Joy has one of those great gave up my law career stories. She went from law school to assistant district attorney in New York City. And then one day she saw a something on New York One about this organization called Dress for Success. And she decided to donate uh, some suits. And so she went and donated the suits. And then she fell in love with the organization. She volunteered. And then she became a board member. And then now she is now CEO. And she has been CEO since 1999 yes. of, of Dress for Success. And I, a lot of times I think we think of Dress as for Success as this organization where all we do is donate clothing, which I know that's very important and that is the core of what Dress for Success was. But it's so much more than that. It's about getting women ready for those job interviews and then helping them succeed and stay in those jobs. So you have resume writing, you have training, you have classes, confidence building classes, which we all need. We all need <laughs> every woman on this uh, that has come on the podcast. I think we should all come. And you're now in 160 cities. Is that growing since? Because things happen quickly. No, it, it happens very quickly. Yes. It's like 162 cities, 27 countries worldwide. And you're serv- serving over? We've helped over a million women, mm-hmm. which really means that over 3 million children have moms who work. And that is such an important piece. I think a lot of times when we think about that, it's that mom and the children. This just keeps extending. And I've seen this firsthand when those moms get jobs and their kids have hope. Because the family has hope, right? And um, we'll let you talk about that because that is your experience. But I've seen it happen so often. It's it just cycles through, and we start breaking that cycle. That's what we want to do. Absolutely. You're a mentor and a survivor on many levels, including you led Dress for Success into its 20th anniversary celebration while battling stage two breast cancer, and. I'm just so happy that you're okay and you're here and we're going to talk about all of these things. So we're going to get started right now and I'll kick it off with my mentoring moment. So 
I don't, but maybe it was five years, four years ago, five years ago, I was, I would be sitting there talking to my husband and I couldn't talk. My brain and my mouth just would not go together. And then I thought, I'm just stressed. And I laid down and I'd be okay like five minutes later. And I thought that was weird. It was just a stress attack, whatever. And then it happened again a couple months later. And I was like, okay, that's strange. Then I'm on vacation and it happens. And that's where you're like, okay, I'm not stressed. And so something is strange. And so a friend of mine said, you know, you really need to get this checked out, which she was right. And I should have had it checked out sooner. I said, I think you're having many heart attacks. And that scared the hell out of me. I'm like, oh my God. So she said, I know Suzanne Steinbaum, who was one of the premier cardiologists in the city. So I'll get you an appointment with her and go see her. And so Dr. Steinbaum is fabulous, but could not figure out what was wrong. And I was wired and I had every, you know, tubes down the throat, every test you could possibly have. And it was more concerning to her because she could not figure out what was causing these bouts mm-hmm. of not being able to talk. And then I went to a neurologist and she figured out it was a hormone imbalance. And that's what was causing everything. So meanwhile, though, as I'm seeing Dr. Steinbaum and she's going through the stress test and um, and she's like, you know, what is what's stressing you out so we can maybe try to get to the root of this? And I said, you know, I'm doing this was the first ever Forbes Philanthropy Summit. And Forbes had called me and asked me if I could moderate a panel with Melinda Gates, Jacqueline Novogratz and Diane von Furstenberg. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And then I immediately called my speaking coach from years ago at USA Today and said, help, I've never moderated a panel before in my life. But they didn't ask me, have you ever? They said, could you? But I said, that's stressing me out because it's for Forbes and I know I'm going to be fine. But what really stresses me out about it is my husband's chief product officer at Forbes. Mm. And I don't want to do anything. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass Forbes, but I don't want to do anything that people will look at it and say, oh, she's up there because of her husband. Right. And she looked at me and she said, are you up there because of your husband? I said, no, he had nothing to do with, I mean, it had nothing to do with it. She said, okay. She said, then I want you to put that thought in a box because the people who are going to say that are going to say it anyway. Mm. And you don't need to care about them. So, and you can't do anything about it. So she's like, put that in a box. And I want you to do that with everything in life that comes to you that you have no control over. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to stand up there and you're going to announce, by the way, you know, my husband had nothing to do with me being on the stage. She was <laughs> exactly. like, so what are you going to do about it? And she said, so get up there, do your best. And if they think that, they think that. And that was such a great, that, so that mentoring moment has a few lessons in sure. there for me to pass on. Number one, when you have an illness, go get it checked out sooner than five months later. Don't sure. wait to go on vacation. Um, thank God there was nothing wrong with me. But sometimes the symptoms, the cause and the symptoms mm-hmm. are very different. So, so there's a medical message in there. But more importantly, it's the message of, you know, put those things in that box mm-hmm. and let go of them. When you're true to yourself, then it doesn't matter what other people think. Hmm. That's a great, that's a great mentoring moment. Thank you. Have you ever found yourself in any situation where you've been so concerned about what other people were thinking? Oh, of course. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, I've been raised as an only child and my mother used to say her greatest success in life was me. So carrying that very heavy burden, not to disappoint her, to make her proud of me causes me often to worry about, you know, what I'm doing, how I'm showing up, 
you know, what that legacy is. And so I worry. I, I worry a lot about a lot of things that I just need to let go. I know that. And I think someone once said when years ago when I was dating someone and I had said, it was my therapist. I said, he adores me. And she was like, Ooh, that's really bad because then you have to be adorable. Huh? Yeah. And it's, I think it's the same thing. It's yeah. great to have people love you and want, and are so proud of you. Sure. But when you feel that pressure, oh, of course, that you've got to be something. Yeah. Well, I knew early on, I was never going to have just one child. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to solve that problem. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I'll, I'll at least stretch it to right. two. <laughs> two. I have two. How old are they? My daughter's 21 and my son will be 19 tomorrow. Oh, and yeah. here in New York too? They or? are. One's in school in Buffalo and one goes to school in New Rochelle. My daughter is 24. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a great age. Yeah, it, yeah, is, it's, it is. It's wonderful to watch them, watch them grow and become their own person. And you see little bits of yourself in them, but more importantly, you see who they are going to become. Yes. And and we talk about this a lot on the show, giving them the freedom to be who Absolutely. they want to be and not who we want them to be. And sitting here with us today for everyone is Lindsay from Joy's team and Sade from Forbes is here in the background. And they're both, I'm going to say you're millennials. Is that, is that accurate? Oh, yeah. so, so that's a message to you. <laughs> be who you want to be and everything else will be fine. You know, do what makes you happy. As someone said the other day, do what makes you happy. Don't do anything that's illegal mm-hmm. and make a living at it and right. everything else will be fine. <laughs> Love it. So, so I want to get into your mentoring moment, Joy. Well, first of all, just the, the concept of this podcast allowed me to ponder about a mentoring moment. I think I'm often thinking about who I'm mentoring and never really thinking about who mentored me. And so preparing for today or the conversation allowed me to think back about who are some of those people. And I remember um, working in the courts, being an assistant district attorney, freshly out of college and trying to figure out if that was going to be my place in the world. Like, was I going to be a career prosecutor? Was I going to be known for being this criminal prosecutor, cleaning up the mean streets of the Bronx? Like, what was I going to be known for? So on this particular day, it was arraignments and I was working the night shift. So that meant I was probably working from about like three to midnight. It was close to midnight and I was arraigning cases. So as criminals were coming in, I was setting bail. That's what you do in arraignments. And so you read the case and you decide how much bail you're going to put on a person, right? And so I remember literally there were murders, there were drug cases, and then there was a jumping the turnstile case. And I remember reading the guy's prior record and seeing that he had jumped the turnstile 20 times in New York City. And most recently, he'd just gotten 60 days for jumping the turnstile At the in subway? another borough. Hmm? Just literally, just jumping the turn, a fair beater. And so in looking at the fact that he did 60 days in another borough for jumping the turnstile, I decided I was going to argue that he get 60 days for jumping the turnstile in the Bronx. And the judge and I began this fight in the courtroom over me arguing why this man should take 60 days for jumping a turnstile, for beating a fare. And um, it got so bad that the judge threw out the case and the guy walked out the courtroom. But right after we took a break and the judge brought me back into chambers and said, and at the time my last name was Mathlin, and he said, ADA Mathlin, he said, what do you stand for? And I said, what do you mean? He said, why would you, did you ever look at that man? Did you ever wonder why he couldn't pay to get on the train? Do you even care? 
What do you care about? Who are you? And I was shocked that I had taken a job that would propel me to want to incarcerate, to not care about people, not look at people, not worry about how you got here. And in that moment, I realized I needed to get out of the DA's office. I don't think that was the judge's intent, but I knew that as a new mom, I had just had my daughter, that I wanted to be remembered. I wanted to be memorable. I wanted to make a difference. That's why I went to law school. And if I was going to go down this trajectory of disrupting people's lives without ever looking at them and ever worrying about how they got there, then that wasn't the course I was willing to take. And so in that moment, I realized that I needed to be better. I needed to do better. And I needed to care about people, wholeheartedly care about them. And so finding Dress for Success, the trip into Dress for Success allowed me really to find my purpose. And I'm forever grateful to that judge um, for seeing that the person that was standing before him was not who I really was. And that's why he called me into the chambers. He knew that wasn't who I was and that I was trying to be this brash, tough DA in the courts, not caring and only worried about convictions and wins. And for me, um, there's so much more to life than that. And so it's just shifted me, completely took a pivot with my career and who I am and what matters to me in this world. And I got to tell you, I now look at everyone, whether I'm riding a train, whether I'm in a car, whether I'm in a mall, I see everyone. I, I see people who think they're invisible um, because I care so much today. And that story really did give me goosebumps when you were talking about being in the judges, what's it called? The judges chambers. chambers. Thank you. I was just doing a total blank. Um, because I think it's those moments in life, right? I have a question. Is the ADA, did you, could you not say this guy goes free? Absolutely, I could have. But it but was you were trying a to make matter your mark, of, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to be tough because that's what ADAs right. are. Right. <laughs> and I was trying to get a win because you're also known for how many cases you plea out versus how many cases you prosecute. So the, system. So the system also creates this edge to you which is about the win. And if he did 60 days in another borough, I needed to give him 60 days in the Bronx. Right, because people would say, Yeah, well, why soft. would she let him go? Right. Right. And not even realizing that he probably was homeless. Right. And that's why he jumped the turnstile, because he didn't have the fare to get to where he needed to go. I was at one of the subways, this is a couple years ago, and um, I forgot my wallet. And I borrow $10 from a friend to be able to get a subway card to mm -hmm. come home. So all I have is my $10 and I'm standing at the subway at the, at the uh, machine to put your money in to get the ticket. And I'm holding the $10 and this guy walks up and he takes the $10 out of my hand. Oh, wow. Okay. So first of all, you're kind of in shock. Right, right? right. The second thing is all I'm thinking is I can't get home. Yes. <laughs> I have no money. <laughs> this is before Uber. Yes. So it was like, I can't, I don't know how I'm getting home. Right. But then some guy out of nowhere jumped on the guy. Oh. So I don't know if he was an undercover cop or whatever, because afterwards people were coming down the steps and they were greeting the guy who jumped, the guy who took the $10 from me, and they arrested him. Uh-huh. And there was this part of me when they, they made me come in and give a statement, and I said to them, you know what, 
I don't know what has to be done in the legal system. And I may have this wrong, Joy, but it's something because he took money out of my hand. Mm -hmm. It was a higher, it was like probably a felony felony versus Mm -hmm. a misdemeanor. We're talking $10, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, you know, and, and I'm much older. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 60s at this point, right? So I'm not just 20-something trying to make her way in life. I said, you know, I don't know what needs to be done in the court system, but can we just figure out why this guy took the time? Right. I mean, is there like a something going on? I mean, maybe we, there's a way to help him versus prosecuting him. Yes. Now, he may have had he may have stolen $150 from somebody else the day before Absolutely. or $10,000 the day before. I don't know. But if this is like his first offense, which it probably wasn't, right? Right. Couldn't. Maybe but, not. But it's kind of, you look at it in that humanitarian way and say, sure. why does yeah. he need the $10 so desperately? Absolutely. Because um, desperate people do desperate things. But yet there is upholding the law. So, and I was kind of, you're kind of torn between, Absolutely. you don't want him hurting somebody else. I don't want him stealing $10 from my daughter. Right. Right. I don't want that happening. So you're really torn and the system is very complex. It is. It is. Before we get into Joy's story about Dress for Success, let me tell you about the Business Platinum card from American Express. It's the card I used when I launched my business, and that's because business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. The greatest time of the year is back. College basketball. That's right. March Madness, March Mania, and March Money. Join in on everyone's favorite game, the Bracket Challenge Contest at betonline.ag. Sign up for a free account, receive your 50% welcome bonus, and make your picks. All the early lines for all the games are now available, so don't miss out on any of the action for the next three weeks at betonline.ag, the exclusive partner at Podcast One Sportsnet. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way, so don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner, or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey, or click on the survey banner on podcast com. This is Mentoring Moments with Denise Rostari. I want to talk about dress for success. So you're, ha- you're as happy as can be. I say it and you smile. It's, it. What makes you so happy about it? It's hard not to love your job when your job is really puts you at a crossroads with um, these incredibly strong, determined, resilient women. And what you do every day has some small impact in their lives that make their lives better. And so um, I love dress for success. I love the fact that I go to work every single day and in the elevator in our building, I ride up with a woman who has no idea who I am because I go to the seventh floor and she goes to the sixth floor and I watch her worry. And sometimes I get on that same elevator later in the day and she's going down and it's a different woman. I see her shine. I see her, I hear her on her phone calling her mom or calling her husband or calling her kids and talking about what's in the bag that she got addressed for success. But more importantly, talking about what's not in the bag, about the women that helped her. 
address for success. And it just warms my heart that there's this organization that cares so much about women. And it isn't just about whether or not they work. It's just, we just care. We wholeheartedly care that she is better than she was when she walked through our door. And getting a job is important, but really just reclaiming her life is what it's all about. And so I just get this beautiful job every single day. And I get to travel around the world and see women in various countries and recognize that women can help other women succeed. And that's what we do. For sure. And I've heard you in an interview say that not only are we going to break the ceiling, but we're going to create a new ceiling. The women will create a new ceiling. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just such an extraordinary organization and it is for the women we serve, but quite frankly, it's even more extraordinary for the women who serve the women we serve. Our volunteers, their lives change because they come to dress for success and they have this, this, this connection with women who they would never know. Um, these women, their worlds would never collide, but for a dress for success. And they get to sit there and help a woman stand up strong and, and they watch her look at herself in the mirror. And some women have never wanted to look in the mirror and and don't know what they're supposed to look like in suited up clothing. Um, and so we suit her from the outside, but more importantly, we suit her from the inside. It's about her self-confidence, her self-worth. It's, it's a lot of stuff that you have to sometimes unpack in the baggage um, to get her to a place where she can walk in an interview and succeed. And you, so you have women from all walks of life, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. It's just not that woman who's never worked. Um, it quite frankly could be any woman in New York city who's simply unemployed or underemployed. Um, and, and, and it is not, um, is no longer abnormal for us to see a woman who's worked for 20 plus years who just lost her job and somehow has lost her way. So it's a very different organization, I think, than the organization we created in 1997, which was at that time a welfare to work organization. Today, it's an organization for women who want to work. And that could be any woman. Which is, I, I love Dress for Success. And I want to publicly volunteer to help to come and volunteer to dress some of the women because in my yeah. past life, I was a stylist. Well, then that's another so story, lucky. Right? <laughs> now, I'm the one who's lucky because those are the moments that really mean something yeah. to me when you see somebody just feeling so good about themselves. Yeah, no, if you want a good cry, right. come to dress for success <laughs> okay. on any single day. Right. And uh, you just want to just right. let some tears loose, come to dress for success and sit there and, and watch gratitude. Like, if I could bottle what happens at Dress for Success and sell it, uh, we'd be uh, a Fortune 500. It is the gratitude that happens in that space between women is extraordinary. Um, and the tears from the clients, from the volunteers, it's just, it's, it's a moment. It really is a very precious moment between women. I just love it. And I'm going to go back to when you had that moment, though, of saying, I need to do, so I know it happened between by volunteering for Dress for Success. It wasn't like snap and you were mm-hmm. in Dress for Success. But I think for so many young women, and we hear from so many for so many women who studied law, it's that afterwards it's not the dream job right. that they thought it was. And that, but they feel stuck in it, that they can't get out of what they worked so hard, what their parents took out loans for, mm-hmm. what they worked so hard for, what they took out loans for. So what advice do you have for those women who are feeling that this is not genuine, this is not me? And it may have been genuine when you started, it may not have even then, but sometimes right. it is genuine. Then. Right, right. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult, right? Because, you know, sometimes, in, and that even for myself, I went to law school not because I necessarily want to be a lawyer. I really want to be a, a, a legal analyst. So I had a journalism degree and I went to law school to get the background in law so that I could cover trials. And that's why I went to law school. But when I got out of law school, my mentor at the time said, what are you going to do? You get graduating next fall and next summer. And I said, oh, I think I'd probably go over to a network and cover cases. And he says, well, why would you be believable? You never even practice law. And I thought, I got to practice law. So I went to law. I mean, I, went, I took a job because I needed to get a couple cases under my belt. Um, so I wasn't completely wedded to it. I wasn't 100 percent in and I didn't have the loans and I didn't have the burdens, but I did have a father who was an immigrant who his vision of success was lawyers, doctors and accountants. And so he's very proud of me because I had gone down a road that he himself didn't. So when I chose to step out of law, he really was quite disappointed. And uh, I didn't disappoint my mom, but I definitely disappointed my dad. He later came around um, and and was very proud of me. But um, it's difficult. It's difficult to make those choices. But at the end of the day, at the very end of the day, you have got to find something that makes you happy. And you've got to find your purpose, your reason for being, you know, what the judge said to me, what's your legacy? What do you leave behind? What do you want to be known for? I um, love this judge. And I love the judge. Not a lot of people love the judge, because <laughs> he was really kind of a <laughs> radical judge. But for whatever reason, he connected with me right. and he just became a friend. Um, but, you know, it's difficult. I wouldn't say that it's not difficult to make a leap and realize I've gone down the wrong path. So before you go too far, um, you know, find, like I did, something to help fill your cup. And that was volunteering. And the volunteering transferred into board membership, which transferred into a job. And so I needed to find my joy someplace else than the job I had. And I found it through volunteering for a nonprofit organization. And I think it's so great when we build our emotional bank accounts up, right, mm-hmm. with things other than work. Yes. So often we find the magic is there. And it's so different than what we're doing in our daily jobs right. many times. And we see that this is where I belong because we're doing it by choice. We're volunteering yes. by choice. And so when your dad, though, was disappointed, what did you do? How did you, how did you like not crumble to that and say, okay, my dad's disappointed. I have to do this. Well, I told him I would only be there two years. No, so you're lying. 19. <laughs> no, 19 years later. <laughs> so it's like, because he was like, I've never even heard of that organization. What do they do? I was like, well, it's brand new. Right. We give suits to women really, who need I'm them. Sure that, I'm sure that really made him and happy, right? Like, <laughs> that, that seems like a worthy thought. Yeah, he was like, do they buy them? And I was like, right, no. Right. He was like, that's how cool. do you make money? How do you make right. money? <laughs> It's constant. Right. It was overwhelming. So I, honestly, I just stopped talking to him about it. I was like, okay, I just cannot even discuss this. And I realized, funny story that um, he never told his friends that I was no longer practicing law. So he was like, I think making up cases and telling his buddies about all these big cases I had in court. Meanwhile, I had pre- left practicing law a long time ago. So when oh, I would go visit funny. him, his friends would be like, oh, I heard about you and your cases in court. And I'd look at my dad like, what are you talking about? But I just let him go because he wasn't really ready to give that up. I mean, that was his, you know, to have a daughter who was a lawyer was a big deal. Right. And to have a daughter who was a nonprofit leader, what is that? He couldn't understand that. So, but later, you know, through a couple of videos I shared with him and a couple of news articles written about the work that I did, he completely got that I had followed my passion in my heart. 
and that um, and there was a great sense of joy for him to see me so happy. Um, and so it, it worked, but it was tough. It was who wants to disappoint their dad, especially when you're an only child and you're a daddy's girl. That was a difficult one. Right. But I think at the end of the day, and I say this as a parent, as we just said, you just want your kids to be happy. Yeah. Right. And so even though you can be disappointed or whatever, knowing that you're, that it turned out that you are happy, Absolutely. that's so much more important than what it is that he thought you should be doing. Absolutely. And I think that's a mess. There's a lot of women, young women that I work with who are first generation and the whole disappointment of, you know, I, I need to go to Harvard because I got accepted and I'd be the first in my family and my parents, but I don't want to go to Harvard. Right. You know, I want to be a creative and all of those pressures. And, you know, I get it. I get it. But at the end of the day, if you're suffering, that doesn't make your parents exactly. happy. Right. And they just want to see you happy. So do I want to talk about surviving breast cancer yeah, and what tell me some of the things that happened what happened to you i know um for a lot of women that i know those were those really defining moments for mm -hmm. them as you're going through the struggle mm -hmm. so what can you share with us then? yeah no it was a little over a year ago now it was february of 2016 i um i was having some problems with my hip and i needed to go to the doctor because i really wanted to get an x-ray on my hip i was having excruciating pain in my hip and so going to the doctor, she said, so Joy, when was your last mammogram? And I said, oh, I think about maybe a, two years ago. And she said, no, I think it's actually closer to three. She was like, you're overdue. And I was like, oh, okay, but I don't have breast cancer in my family. So I had gone since I was 40. At this point, I was 48 every, you know, I missed a couple years, but it didn't seem like an issue, nor did I feel a lump. And so I went for the mammogram and it turned into another, a sonogram, which then turned into several biopsies. And it was very quick. Like it was feel like, you know, I mean, it was compressed into maybe like four days going in for different tests only to get the call. I never forget 7.30 in the morning, my doctor's office called and there was my doctor on the phone and she goes, hi, Joy. I just want to let you know I heard back and... Um, it appears as though you have cancer in your breasts. And I remember walking down the stairs from my bedroom to the living room. My husband was sitting there and I said, I think I have breast cancer. And he said, what do you mean you think you have breast cancer? And I said, I mean, literally, I couldn't even remember what the doctor had just said to me. And so I said, I, I need to call. I need to I need to find a surgeon. And so I ended up calling a good friend of mine who used to be the CEO of Susan G. Comey in New York City and said to her, are you familiar with a doctor in Long Island? Because I live close to Long Island. And she said, no, but you live in New York City. The best doctors in the world are in Manhattan. You need to find a doctor in Manhattan. And so she connected me with the head of breast surgery for NYU Langone. And I saw the doctor the next day. And it all fast forward um, to being di diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. It was and what does that mean? I, I know it meant that it was, it was in my now. ductal area. I had, it, the reason why it was advanced to stage two was because it was also in my lymph nodes. So because it had advanced beyond the breast and gone into the lymph nodes, it was considered stage two. I think that the, the, the size of it could have made it even a smaller stage, but the advancement into the lymph node is gonna be treated as stage two which meant that I needed to make a decision whether or not I was going to have a uh, mastectomy. Was I going to remove breasts, both breasts, do a lumpectomy, just remove the cancer? I mean, it was just, 
it, it, you can't even fathom in the amount of time that you got to make decisions. And I really just, I didn't want to tell my mom because she was battling her own illness. I didn't want to tell my daughter because she only had five more weeks in the semester at school and I didn't want to disrupt that. Um, I jokingly say my husband has no tear ducts, so he shows no emotion. So telling him was just like talking to myself because he was just completely, he just didn't know how to handle it because I am the, I am the rock. rock in the family. So he just said nothing. I don't think that's uncommon for anyone listening. Yeah. This is not, Joy, Joy has a great husband. Yeah, he's an amazing man, but he can't, that's like not his right. thing. So it was like I had to make all these decisions by myself, careful about who I would talk to. And I wasn't really willing to accept it. So I really wasn't sharing it with anyone because I was figuring maybe I'd go there and, you know, they would do a different test and it wouldn't be what they were saying. All that being said, um, I chose to do a lumpectomy rather than remove the breasts. And my particular doctor, she's a believer that you don't have to go to that extent when you find breast cancer. You know, for some people, that's what they want to do. But she says... She doesn't believe it saves your life differently by removing or keeping. So if you want to keep them, keep them. And she's such a beautiful woman. I never forget. I went in for the surgery and I was sitting there and the room is cold and it's white. And there's all these people running around you and you're just there and they're about to put you under. And she looked at me and a tear rolled down my face and she kissed me on my cheek. Mm -hmm. And I, and she goes, you're going to be, you're in good hands. I go, I know I'm in good hands. I just saw her yesterday. Um, make me cry. She's uh, yeah, and sad. so you know, it is um, it has been a journey. I did the lumpectomy, I did the chemotherapy, I did the radiation, um, you know, lost all my hair, my eyebrows. Every morning before I went to work, my team knows this. My husband would sit me down and stencil on my eyebrows every morning. Oh, man. Um, he shaved my head. Um, I eventually told my daughter. Uh, and my mother, after you know, I brought her, my mother in right for the surgery. Um, so it's just been a journey. But you know what? If, if listen, the thing that I think got me through my year was dress for success. I went to work every single day. I would create my chemotherapy treatments around my work schedule. I'd come into work. I'd go to chemo. I'd come back to my desk. Um, I needed to be at work. I needed to see women. I needed to be around the women I work with. I needed to draw strength from people and know that if Dress for Success women can get through what they get through, then why can't I get through what I'm getting through? And it's just been a, it's been a journey. I think it's made me a lot stronger. I am definitely more committed to life, um, my life, enjoying my life, um, I say no more now than I've ever done in my life. And, and I respectfully can't do everything like I used to do before. And I don't want to. Um, and I just want a different quality of life. I think, you know, I want to, I'm turning 50 in two weeks you look beautiful. and, uh, I just, I just, I want to, I want to enjoy my mom. I want to, uh, my kids are you know, pretty much we're empty nesters, but I just want a different quality of life. And I want to do the things that I care most about. Um, and I want to live. I just really want to live. And so what's next in your treatment? So you're, are you through with the treatment? I am. I'm on um, tamoxifen, which right. is, uh, kind of depresses the estrogen because my cancer feeds off estrogen. So they've, um, given me a pill to, to, 
to do that, although I might change the pill, which is be great because the pill I'm on, you usually on it from five to 10 years, the pill that they would recommend, and I'll know probably next March, it's only like a three-year pill. So I might change, you know, breast cancer research has come a long way. Yes. Um, and it's, it's so funny, not funny, funny, but, you know, until you have this, you almost don't see breast cancer. You're like you're oblivious to the pink. It doesn't affect you, so you don't see it. Now I see it everywhere. I can spot a woman from a mile away that's going through treatment. Is a look in her eyes. Sometimes it's the eyebrow. Sometimes it's just the face. Sometimes it's the skin, the coloration. And you see women, you see yourself in so many women. Um, and before, they were just invisible to me. So I'm part of this very precious club of survivors. Um, and I think it has really, it's shaped who joy will become next. And I'm just waiting to see what that looks like. And sometimes in life, and it's these wake up calls, right? That when, we, when we're given the second chance yep. to do it better, to do it differently. Um, and I have some friends who are survivors of breast cancer as well. And just seeing, it was that like moment that something happened where it was like, you know, I need to change my life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I have to quit my job. I love my job. But if I don't love my job, I need right. to quit it. But I hear that one thing consistent, Joy, is what you said, is saying no. Yeah. And my breathing coach um, was talking the other day about someone she knows, their husband is in a um, nursing home. He had a stroke. And that's now that person says no because she can't. But she right. was saying how much better her life is in her own world because she's learned how to say no. And it's like, but Absolutely. why does it take that? Yeah. Right? Why does it take us to get to that point where we're not all our lie? We have all these years we should have been saying no. Absolutely. That we could have been saying yes to the things that are important for us. Right. So I think that's such an important message. And we talk about it a lot on the show. It's such an important message of saying no to the things that just aren't important because right. you're giving up something that's really important. Right. No, and I, you know, it's it's funny, uh, Lindsay, who's here with me, she books a lot of my speaking, and I'm speaking in LA uh, the first week of October, and then there was this opportunity for me to come back to New York, probably take a red eye to speak the next day in New York. And I said to Lindsay, I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't think mm -hmm. I'm, no, no, I don't think I'm going to yeah, do I'm it. I'm done with red eyes. Yeah, I'm done with that. And, and actually, I reached out to the woman and said, unfortunately, I'll be in LA, and I won't be able to get back to New York in time to speak. Maybe I can speak at your next conference. She goes, of course, we'd love to have you the next year. So the idea that it can't happen at a different time, you know, you race, this this clock is like ticking that you have to do everything when everybody wants you. And in reality, um, whether it happens then or it happens the next year or it never happens, it's fine. Like I'm not the only person in New York that could speak at an event. Um, and, uh, and quite frankly, when I was ill and couldn't speak or didn't want to speak over last year, I promoted promoted and pushed a number of the women within my organization to do public speaking who had shied away from it and who always kind of, it would fall on me um, to do that. And I actually saw great, great strength in some of my colleagues who would have rather I did it, but couldn't. And I saw their talent. So sometimes you got to sit back and allow other people to soar. Yes. And, and just, but Hopefully we don't have to wait until we get to the point no, of we being shouldn't. ill, right? To be able to realize all of those things. Absolutely. But sometimes that's the way life is. And, um, but I think sharing those stories makes, uh, makes us realize that just do it when you're healthy and you have the time Absolutely. to do more things. Yeah, and that could be raising your children. You got to learn how to say no. And I really never said no. I tried to do it all. I was the woman who did it all. You know, I'd be, 
you know, I, I, you know, work so hard and run home. I remember I did this, this thing for MSNBC one time, it was crazy, but I like literally cooked a whole chicken at like nine o'clock at night. And there I was, I was asleep, my kids were asleep and I'm cooking dinner at nine o'clock at night because it was important for me to have dinner on the table. But who was at the table? Right. Uh, so. okay, so that, did you have a moment of saying? Okay. Wait a minute. What is wrong with me? Exactly? What is wrong with this picture right, right now? Is all my kids are asleep right. and, and I'm, I'm taking the chicken. the chicken out the oven at like 10 30, 11 o'clock. What was it you think that really made you do it? What was it that was going on? It was you? this trying to be perfect, trying to trying to be this mom who could do it all and and could be all to everyone and to my husband and to my kids and you know, and and wanting everybody to see me as this Wonder Woman. And and they still see me as the Wonder Woman, but I could take the cape off every right. now and then. I can I can rest the cape. And uh, so, yeah, I had learned a lot from that episode of why would anybody cook a chicken at nine o'clock at night, a whole chicken at nine o'clock at night. Right. Uh, <laughs> for your kids right. to eat. If ever you have that moment, call when me. everybody sleep. <laughs> Just call me, I'll help you out there. Exactly. But it is that thinking that we have to do it all. And I look back to when my daughter was younger, and I think some of the crazy things I did thinking, because I was working full time, I was a single parent, Mm -hmm. the crazy things you think that are so important that she doesn't even remember. remember. (laughs) I tease her all the time and say, okay, so why didn't I lock you up in a room and just make sure you were safe and like throw food in every so often? Because you remember nothing. Nothing. Zero. Absolutely. So hopefully it helps her be the person that she is, right? But still, it's like the things that are so important to us are like crazy to most people because we just think we have to do it all. Yes. And when you give that up, and I still do it, I still do it. My husband is my best check where he'll be like, Okay, you, you know, we don't, you don't have to cook, okay? Right. Because I'm like, whenever I'm feeling like for holidays or whatever, I have to do it all. Like I can't order anything exactly because I have to like do it all from scratch, and nobody cares. No one. No one. Sometimes they'd prefer if I ordered that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that right. happens in my house. My husband's the chef now. Right. We resolved. He's much better at it than I am, and so I let him. He can he can wear the cap. Well, even the other day, a young woman was talking to me about her mom and Christmas, and she said, you know, I. I love going home for Christmas because my mom has this winter wonderland in our home. And I thought, oh, I'm such a bad mom. (laughs) Exactly. I have to like really force myself to go get the tree. Right, (laughs) right. And then think, where am I putting it in an apartment in Manhattan? Absolutely. It's like, what am I moving to put that tree in here? I think the worst argument my husband and I ever had was over Thanksgiving dinner. And I tried to cook Thanksgiving dinner and he was already closed on out the door to go to his mom's house. And I was like, I'm like cooking Cornish hens because right. that was the turkey of choice for me. <laughs> and I mean, funny. we like, it was the worst fight we ever had. And right. I realized I will never cook Thanksgiving dinner again because actually I would prefer to go to his mother's house as well. Right. So, and that's you know, like crazy. So I bring dessert and that's it. That's what we do for Thanksgiving. We share it with his mom who cooks the spread of a lifetime. And she loves doing that. I don't. And so that's what we do. But right. yeah, now you get to, you learn. You we learn really are crazy lessons. sometimes. And speaking of that, that leads right into what we're done with. Right. The things that we're done with. So I'll start and you can think of what you're done with. Okay. I'm, I'm done with not unpacking my backpack. And I'll explain that. A therapist once told me years ago that 
life, we carry around this backpack. And she says, so think about when you're in school, you keep, you, know, you start off the first day of school and it's very light. You go in, it's empty. You may have your lunch in it. And then you get your books and you get all your papers and it gets heavier and heavier. Mm-hmm. And at some point your mom says to you, we need to clean out your backpack. It's too heavy because you're just falling over forward <laughs> yes. when you're walking to school. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. And you clean out the backpack and it gets heavy again and you clean it out. She said, but you don't do that mentally. Mm-hmm. Like you need to clean out the backpack mm-hmm. in your life mm. and you need to do it regularly. And that goes to, as we were just talking about saying no, it's cleaning out all those things in our lives. You, know, you could look at it literally. I've been cleansing my closets. I've been, if it doesn't keep, give me joy, I've been doing that whole method. Yes. If it doesn't bring me joy, it's out of here. But on the mental level, it's re- the reminder of cleaning out that backpack. So mm. that's what I'm done with. I'm done with letting it because I do, I, I, I will clean out the apartment, I'll clean out the house, but I don't clean out my mind. Hmm. That's wonderful. I don't want to clean out my heart, but no. I do want to clean out my mind. No, it's important. I think I'm done with, I'm done with worrying about cancer. I'm done with it. I uh, had my six month mammo checkup on Monday and I continue to be cancer free, knock on wood. But leading up to it, I, my mind was racing. I felt, I felt pain in my breast. I felt pain in my back. I knew that the cancer was back. I talked myself into that this was it, that it had resurfaced, that they were going to tell me something on Monday. Um, I almost canceled a vacation, worried about should I even go out of the country because I knew the cancer was back. My mind started playing tricks on me and I was so worried. And even when I sat in the room waiting for the radiologist to come back, having read the report, I literally was basically writing my eulogy and I'm just done with it. It is what it is. I'm healthy today and Oh, that's what your hand. you know that's what matters and i can't play that tape it's not good for me my children my community um and i played that tape alone because i didn't want anyone to worry about me because again i got to be strong for everyone so i'm cancer free and so everything i've been feeling for weeks leading up to monday wasn't real so I'm done with it. I'm done with worrying about cancer. I just want to live. And so six months from now, when I take my next mammo, I'll make sure that that tape does not play in my head. Uh, not one day before I go there. And so that's it. I'm done with it. This week, I realize, cannot do that again. That's just, as you see, I'm very cheer. I'm, I'm, that really takes me back because how do you do that? You know, it's, I, I would be the same way as you because I want to set myself up for what, if, yeah, if it's okay, I did. I'm prepared for the worst. That's exactly what I was doing. Right. Yeah. Cause I was like, okay, well, so what's my plan? What's my strategy? You know, do I get to do chemo again? Um, will they just, you know, will I choose to remove all breasts? And I mean, I was literally, I was building this whole thing out. I was coming up with an entire plan for, and it's just so odd because this is my second six months checkup and I didn't do this the first time, but decided to do this this time, to work myself up to this place this time. Um, and why just, do you think that was the difference between I just between don't the- know. I don't know. I just, I guess I'm getting closer to my daughter graduating from high school. My father-in-law just passed away. So I'm kind of surrounded by illness. 
And it just felt like, you know, well, why not me? You know, you know, and will I miss out on seeing my daughter graduate from high school college? Um, and so I was just kind of setting myself up to be prepared for this shooter drop. And, and it's just, it is not right. It's, you know, one thing about cancer I know is that stress brings on all sorts yes. of illnesses. And so that was just not fair to me to be under that level of stress for so long, building up to what was the radiologist walking in and saying, all looks good, Joy, I'll see you in six months. And I even said to her, like, oh, my God, do you know how long it took for you to get back into this room? I've been waiting for you for like 10 minutes. She said, I'm so sorry I was busy. And I'm thinking, oh, God, that she must have had to go meet with my surgeon or had to talk to my oncologist. And they must be discussing what my plan is, you know, and I'm just building all this up. No more. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, I believe I'm healthy and well and and I will be healthy and well until I'm not healthy and well. And and that's that's how I choose to live. So no um, more of that. After the show, I'm going to connect you with my breathing coach. Yeah. Because it's in those moments of being able to go, you know, to not beat into yeah. the things that just scare us so much. And and it's it's not, I don't think it's uncommon. It's not, nothing's wrong with you. I mean, to go there. I think that's where we all tend to go um, because it's so scary. And we hear all the other stories. And oh, it's like, yeah. you know, why me? I was telling a friend one day, I was, I was telling you earlier, my mom is 90 and Whenever, like I call her every day and I usually call her at night because I want to make sure that she's okay. And she usually goes to bed at between eight and nine o'clock. So if I call her at eight o'clock and she doesn't answer the phone, I don't think, oh, she's at a friend's apartment. Right, you go into panic mode. I go right into, she fell in her apartment right. or whatever, right? And so a friend of mine said, why don't, can't you flip that script? Mm. Why can't you go into, oh, my mom's having a good time. Sure. And I said, this will sound crazy, but I'll tell you why. My nephew died um, two years ago. He was 29 years old and mm. he died from leukemia and lung cancer. The lung cancer was part of, came as part of the cure mm. of leukemia. I look at my friends who have cancer, mm -hmm. who I've, um, who've gone really hard battles with cancer. Mm -hmm. I look at a friend who just died from pancreatic cancer and mm -hmm. I will, can go through the list. And then I look at it and say, why not? How did I get so lucky? Yeah. Yeah. And she said to me, but you know, first of all, that's kind of crazy because you have a lot of shit in your life that didn't go right. Okay? Right, right, right. You <laughs> so, had your war right. battles. <laughs> but it doesn't all have to even no, out. No, it doesn't right? have to. She said, even right. if you had none, she said, but you're forgetting those. But why do you think that it's like, I think nothing's happened to me. So they're good people. Yes. My nephew yes, was yes, a great yes. human being. Of course. Being. How could he not be? Right. So how could that happen to him? So why am I so lucky? Yeah. So why am I lucky that my daughter's healthy? Mm -hmm. So, you know, every day I think, is she okay? If I don't hear from her, like when she says, you know, if I text her and she doesn't text back in like right. three seconds, I'm like, is she okay? Right. It's like a crazy place to put ourselves. It in. is. It is. It's a very, it, you know, why our minds, our minds completely play tricks on right. us. And so, yeah, that was the, it was the trick of the century for me. And I'm just grateful that, uh, I've resolved that I will not let that show up in my life again. Well, and if it does, and hopefully it won't, because yes. I think your resolve is very strong, Yes, but we are human. I'm sure you have a network of friends, but count me in on them I that will. you can reach out to me and we'll that keep you on track because that's, what's going to keep you going because yeah. you're just so radiant and you're just so beautiful. And I just look at you yeah, thank and you. you're healthy. I, I you're, am. you're healthy. You're healthy and you're great and you're wonderful. So is there anything else before we close out? We want to go through all of your, I, mm -hmm. we'll get to you know, your, your, um, 
Facebook and all that. But anything else you want to tell our listeners that is important that they know from you? Well, just that, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, if, if wondering about how do you fill your cup, how do you make your life fuller, I will tell you, and certainly many people have come out of, you know, two treacherous storms, Harvey and Irma, there's a lot of work in the community that needs to be done by people like your listeners. And so I say to you, find a cause, find a place to invest your time and your talent and even your treasure, um, make a difference. You can make a difference in someone else's life. And, um, and people are counting on you. Um, and so, uh, just, just imagine if you have an opportunity to shape or change someone else's life that you don't know. Uh, so I hope they find a place to give their heart and their time and their talent. And if they're looking for an organization that helps women and children and, and gives people out of poverty, consider Dress for Success. Yes, I, I love your organization. So where can everyone find you and find what they need they can do with Dress for Success? Right. So dressforsuccess.org is our website, and it will direct you to all other places to find a, a Dress for Success in your community or how you personally can get involved to make a difference in someone's life. And that might be reviewing resumes, doing mock interviews, suiting her in the boutique, um, teaching her professional development tools. Now that she's a working woman, um, teaching leadership skills for women who work, who are looking to lead in their communities and in life. Um, so it's very holistic, uh, our approach to helping women get back on their feet. And we just need more people and volunteers, both men and women to get involved. Great. And Facebook and Instagram and Everything's all Everything's dressed this? for success. Okay. Yes. okay. Thank you. This has been just wonderful. Uh, thank, thank you, you. so much. Blowing you like again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So I have goosebumps and remnants of tears. That was so moving. And I'm so thankful and grateful for Joy for being so vulnerable because it's these stories when we share what's really going on in our hearts and in our heads and how confusing that can sometimes be. That's when we're really helping each other. And the one big takeaway I have is legacy. What's your legacy? What can you do? What are you doing that being true to yourself, that will be your legacy. And that doesn't mean you have to do it all at once or you have to do it all. But what is it that is so important to you? And don't wait until you have that defining moment in life when you have breast cancer or something happens that makes you take that pause. Think about it now. What is it you really want to be doing? And one of those things I hope you really want to be doing is check out Dress for Success. I promise you, you will be very happy you do. So Thank you for joining us today and to get Mentoring Moments, the moment it's live every Wednesday. Remember to download new episodes on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or podcastone.com and make sure to rate, review, and share. Check out my show notes on Forbes.com and talk to me. I'm easy to find, always on Twitter at Denise Ristari. Until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. I'm- 
Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And we're the hosts of The Limit Does Not Exist, a podcast for human Venn diagrams. That's right. We talk to people with intersecting interests in the arts, STEM, entrepreneurship, and so much more. The easiest way to explain science to non-scientists is to use art. I worry that we lose a lot of creative engineers because our engineering curriculum is not creative. Education should be about empowering people to become better thinkers, good problem solvers, creative inventors, and ethical caring citizens. Download new episodes of The Limit Does Not Exist every Monday on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law. It is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.